Easter's kind of a big deal. It's a big Sunday. You know, everybody shows up to church on Easter Sunday. We uh, get a little bit more hype than normal on Easter Sunday. We sing a little louder than normal on Easter Sunday. Um, you know, we get all dressed up. We tuck in our shirt on Easter Sunday. Like there's things we do on Easter Sunday that we don't do, uh, do any other Sunday of the year because it's a big Sunday. We're celebrating the resurrection today. And the resurrection is the biggest news in all of human history. Like without the resurrection, it's not just that we don't get to have Easter. We don't have Christianity without the resurrection. We do not have a faith without the resurrection. It is that big of a deal. And when you get dressed up and you fight the traffic and you come to church on Easter Sunday, you want to hear a message about what? <laughs> about Easter, right? When I was a young preacher years ago, I was, uh, we, you know, I was like, Easter Sunday is a big Sunday. There's going to be a lot of people here. I'll just start a new series on Easter Sunday. And I preached about marriage on Easter Sunday. And uh, one of our uh, members came up to me and lovingly shook her finger in my face and said, when I come to church on Resurrection Sunday, I want to hear a sermon about Resurrection Sunday. You understand? And I said, yes, ma'am. And, uh, and I haven't made that mistake again. Well, I always talk about the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. So that's what you're going to hear today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. Uh, I want to talk about a verse that I've never seen before in Scripture. And I do not know how that's possible. Uh, like, like these stories we've heard our entire life. So for some of us, we've heard like I grew up going to Sunday school. My parents, you know, dragging me to church when I was six months old. So my whole life I've heard stories of the resurrection. And I've read the gospels and, and I've preached for, you know, 18 years, the stories of the resurrection. And there's a phrase in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17 that I've never seen before. And I, I've seen it. Surely I've seen it. But I've never, it's never registered with me. And you know how you can read Bible stories over and over and over and over and over again, and then suddenly like one little phrase will just jump off the page. It's like, why have I never seen that before? Either because just at that particular stage of life, you're, you're, you've got ears to hear whatever is said there, or you just, you know, for some reason, I've just, I just missed it. And it, it, part of it has to do with the series we just finished. We just finished a series uh, at this church on deconstruction. And if you're not familiar with deconstruction, uh, it's, it basically refers to the process of systematically dissecting or questioning your faith. Like, you know, we're given a faith as, ki as kids. We grow up and become adults, and we have to question our faith. We have to go through that process of asking, is the parent, the things my parents taught me, is that true? The things that I was taught as a child, is that true? Do I believe this? You know, and so deconstruction is kind of about doubt and questions and wrestling with doubt and wrestling with questions and so I've been reading a bunch of books about doubt and I've been preaching for eight weeks on doubt and so my ears are just a little bit more attuned to mentions of doubt in the scripture and there's a ton of mentions of doubt in the scripture especially in the resurrection stories but the guy who pointed it out to me was actually Rob Bell. I don't know him personally, but I was uh, listening to a podcast because during the deconstruction series, a bunch of people were like, oh, you got to listen to this, you know, the Bible for normal people. You got to listen to this podcast. And so I looked it up, never heard of it before. I looked it up. There's 230 episodes. And so I, you know, I'm, I scroll all the way down to the first episode because I don't want to start at the end. I'll start at the beginning. All the way down to the first episode, and it's an interview that they're doing with Rob Bell. He's a former pastor at uh, Mars Hill Church. Got in a little trouble, not moral trouble, theological trouble because of a book he wrote. And uh, this, this was not about that book. It was a different book. It was a book he'd written about the Bible and they were interviewing him. 
And he was talking about all these fascinating stories that are in the Bible that we either just skip over or we don't, it doesn't register with us they're there. And he told the story of Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. And I was running as he, I was listening to the podcast while I was running, and I remember stopping and pulling out my phone and like clipping that part of the podcast because I'm like, I've never heard that before. I'm not, I don't believe everything Rob Bell says, so I don't, I don't know that that's in there or not. And I'm like, when I get home, I'm going to look that up. And I, I looked it up, and it's in there. And I don't know how I've missed it, but it's right there. We're going to start reading. We'll start reading in Matthew uh, 16. So 28 verse 16. If you've got a Bible with you, otherwise I'm going to have it on the screen right here. Uh, for context... This is the last, oh, I got to turn it on. This is the last post-resurrection appearance of Jesus to his disciples. Okay, so Jesus, what we know from the Gospels and from 1 Corinthians is that over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared to multiple people, hundreds of people, uh, after his resurrection, and he appeared multiple times to his disciples. In this particular section of Matthew, this is the last time that he appears to his disciples. So this is right before he ascends into heaven, and this is Matthew's recounting of that. And he says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told him to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then after that, he gives what we call the Great Commission. You know, therefore, go into all the world and uh, teach and baptize. And so he gives the Great Commission. Then he ascends into heaven. But it's the phrase in verse 17 that I've just skipped over. Time and time again. And this is Matthew's recounting of the story. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. Now, when, when I hear that story for the first time, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. What, like, were there people there that had not seen the resurrected Jesus before? Like, were there new people there? Was this like a big crowd and people couldn't get close to him? Or like, like who was there? And you go back in verse 16, Matthew says, the 11 disciples. The 11 disciples were the ones that went up. So Matthew's talking about the 11 disciples worshipped him, but some doubted. These are the closest disciples of Jesus. They've spent three years with him. These are the ones that he appeared to more than any others after the resurrection. They've touched the the wounds in his hands. They've touched his side. Some doubt it? How in the world is that possible? Like When when Bell is telling the story in the podcast, he's like, Jesus has got to be thinking at that point, like, Guys, this, this is all I got. Like, I mean, this is, this is it. I mean, you know, this is like the crowning miracle, you know, defeating death. This is, you know, if you don't believe I'm the son of God now, this is it. I ain't got nothing else to show you. Some doubt it. Now, the reason I love Matthew's inclusion of that in his gospel is that it's one of the things that gives me confidence that these stories are real stories. Because if you're just manufacturing this stuff, like if you're just making this up, like, hey, we're going to make up this story about Jesus and we're going to start a religion and all this stuff, you wouldn't include, you wouldn't be honest enough to say some of his closest disciples doubted him. Like you, you wouldn't include that in there because that wouldn't present your case well. And, and the, the inclusion of doubt in this part of the story is recognition that resurrection is not normal. 
that someone would rise from the dead is not something easily accepted or believed even among Jesus' closest disciples. It's almost like Matthew gives us permission in this verse to raise an eyebrow to the resurrection. Like it's, it's okay. It, when you first hear this story of resurrection and you go, what? Really? Are you sure? It's okay. That's a normal response to resurrection because resurrection is not a normal occurrence. So when you hear this, it's, it's, it's okay. If you're not quite sure what to do with all this Jesus stuff, that's okay. There's still room for you. Some of his closest disciples weren't quite sure what to do with all this Jesus stuff. And in, and in every story of the resurrection... There's examples of this. In Mark's version of the story, he says, Jesus rose early on the first day of the week. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd driven seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. And afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. And these returned and reported it to the rest. But they did not believe them either. Like that's a normal, when you hear stories of resurrection, the normal response to that is, I don't believe it. The, the two that were walking in the country, Luke tells that story in his version, and he says these two guys were walking on the road to Emmaus, meaning they were leaving Jerusalem. These were two of the disciples of Jesus who were there. They saw the crucifixion. They saw his body in the tomb. They saw the stone rolled over it, and they're going home because this is over. I mean, this is the end of the story. We, we thought he was the Messiah, but he can't be if he's dead. And so Jesus appears to these two in a form that they don't recognize. So they don't realize they're talking to Jesus. And Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, you haven't heard? Are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? He goes, no, what's going on? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Look at this. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Do you hear the doubt in that phrase? It's a past tense phrase. Not we, we know that he's the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. And some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. So what do these two disciples think about it? They don't believe the women either. And they don't believe the companions, which was Peter and John. They don't believe them that they went to the tomb and saw the empty tomb and that Jesus was risen. Because they're on their way home. This is over. They don't believe it. Of course, the most famous story of doubts in the Gospel of John, it's Thomas. And Thomas was not with the 11 when Jesus first appeared. So when Jesus appeared to the 11, Thomas just, I don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. And so he, he comes back and all the guys are like, we just saw the resurrected Jesus. And he says, I don't believe it. I do not. I will not believe it until I touch the wounds in his hands, until I touch the wound on his side. I will not believe it. And Thomas, we, you know, we give him Thomas, the, the, he's the doubting Thomas. It's not that Tom, Thomas is doubting Thomas. He's the same Thomas. He responds the way a normal person would to news of a resurrection. I don't believe it. 
And the gospel writers include all of this. Every single writer of the gospel makes sure to mention that there were doubts after the resurrection. This is not something easily accepted. These guys were not just a bunch of idiots that will believe anything you tell them. Just tell me anything and I'll believe anything. They were normal people and normal people respond with skepticism to the resurrection. In my study Bible, it mentions a a comment on it that belief in the resurrection was not instantaneous for the disciples. It took some time for them to come to full faith. And in some strange way, that gives me hope. (laughs) Like that that it took some time, even the ones that were closest to Jesus, because I didn't get to touch his, his wounds. The ones closest to Jesus, it took some time for them to come around to the truth of resurrection. Jesus actually, when Thomas, after Thomas touched his wounds, he said, my Lord and my God, and you know, you're the son of God. And and Jesus said, because you've seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Every time one of these disciples encountered Jesus, it took them some while to process through what was going on. It took them some while to, to, to accept, to come around to the idea that this is the resurrected Jesus. And what we know from history is that every one of those same people eventually gave their life for the truth of the resurrection. Like we know that Thomas was martyred because he, believed, he came to believe, he was the one who said, I don't believe it, I won't believe it. He came to believe in it so fully that he sacrificed his life for the truth of the resurrection. We know that about Peter. We know that just every one of the disciples gave their lives for the truth of the resurrection. They may have initially doubted, but they came to believe it so fervently. And, and the reason that it takes a while to come around to this idea is because if it's true, if the resurrection is true, well, then goodness, that changes everything, doesn't it? That changes everything about my life. That changes everything about this church. That changes everything about this world. I mean, if the resurrection is true, then I've got to, there's some radical changes that have to take place in my life. Now, you might be surprised. Probably not. Commentators don't like the fact that all of these stories in the Gospels contain messages of doubt. (laughs) And, and Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, commentators just haven't known what to do with it. They're like, you know, I, I, I don't know. What, like, how do, you, how do you do with that? How do you deal with the fact that some of the 11 were doubting? Rather than embracing that as a, as a true and honest and good part of the story, there's commentators that go, oh, no, 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 I don't. The, the doubt, let's don't call it doubt. I ran across one, his name's Craig Bloomberg, who says, I don't know, this is probably a problem from translating it to Greek to English. The word doubt is maybe not the best word to use. That's, that's probably a mistranslation of that. Uh, you know, and, and he describes it this way. He says the, the actual Greek word that Matthew uses in verse 17, and I'm going to try to pronounce it, it refers more to hesitation than unbelief. I'll read you his, his comments. Perhaps something about Jesus' appearance made him hard to recognize at first, like the two on the road to Emmaus. Or perhaps they fear how he may respond to them. Or perhaps their Jewish scruples are still questioning the propriety of full-fledged worship of anyone but Yahweh. Or, most likely, they may simply continue to exhibit an understandable confusion about how to behave in the presence of a supernaturally manifested, exalted, and holy being. In other words... 
This is how Bloomberg would translate Matthew 28, 17. Some of them worshipped Jesus at once. Some, of, some were less sure how to react. And I love that interpretation as well. <laughs> because isn't that, that right there is Easter Sunday. This is Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, everybody comes to Jesus. And some of us that come to Jesus are full-fledged, 100%. I believe every single word. I'm coming. I'm going to celebrate every word in that song. I'm going to say amen to every word in those songs. Every verse you read, I believe it 100%. I'm 100 absolutely convinced that Jesus was resurrected. And others are going, well, I'm not going to say it on Easter Sunday. But inside, I'm thinking, dead people don't rise. And I, I would like, I just, there's doubt. There's, da- there's questions and there's doubt. And I'm just not sure what to do with this whole story. And some of us are, are somewhere in between that. Like, it's, I'm, I'm not, it's not that I don't believe it. And it's not that I believe it fully. It's like I'm somewhere in between. I believe it. I understand the story. And I believe in the resurrection. But I'm not sure how to react to it. I'm just not sure what to do with that news. And that's Easter. In a, in a room like that, there's people gathered all across this country today. Internationally, there's, churches are more full today than they are any other time of the year. And they're full of the faithful, and they're full of the doubters. They're full of people that are like, I just came because Mama said I was coming, and I'm here. <laughs> and that's, she said I was coming. So, I mean, and they're full of doubt, and they're full of, I just don't know how to react. And Jesus says, every single one of you are welcome. Every single one of you are welcome. He never rebuked uh, them for their doubt, never rebuked them for their questions. The only people that Jesus rebukes a lot in Scripture are the people who think they got all the answers. (laughs) The religious Pharisees are the ones that Jesus rebukes the most in Scripture because they're the ones that think they got it all figured out. But the people who are searching, the people who are wondering, the people who are asking the questions, the people who are doubting, Jesus just keeps saying, you're welcome. Everybody's welcome at the feet of Jesus. That's what Matthew 28, 17 says to me. And that's kind of where we're going. I want to in, invite you to come back next Sunday because this is, this is where I'm headed next Sunday. I'm starting a new series called Come to the Table, The Radical Invitation of Jesus. It's a series about the people Jesus had dinner with. And we're going to look at the stories in the Gospel of Luke of people that Jesus ate with. And Jesus ate with everybody. It's the thing that got him, it, it's, it got him in the most trouble And it also was the most attractive thing about him. It's the thing that drew people to him, and it's the thing that repulsed people from him. Because Jesus ate with the tax collectors. He ate with prostitutes. He ate with drunkards. He ate with the religious fundamentalists. Everybody was welcome at the the table of Jesus. And that's what I would say to you. If you're you're faithful, if you're doubting, if you're not sure what to, to do with Jesus, just keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Because Jesus will always welcome you. And this church will always welcome you. You just keep showing up. I want to close with, a, with a, another invitation that some of you may feel is a radical invitation. But um, I, want to, I want to close by inviting you to follow Jesus if you've never followed him. Or to give your life to him if you've never given your life to him. And I'm going to tell Amanda's story. So uh, we, you heard them introduced at the beginning of uh, services this morning. Uh, Amanda gave me permission to tell this story, 
And she said, you can say anything you want as long as I don't have to get up there. So I'm not, I'm not and she's here, so I'm not going to make her get up here. I'm going to try to piece it together versed on conversations that we've had and, and emails we've had. But uh, Amanda and Nate started coming here the, the first Sunday we, we kicked off a, a study of Romans, which is like a 13-week study on Romans. And in the study, I said, this is like the beginner's guide to Christianity. Like, if you want to know, like, who Jesus is and what he's done for us and, you know, why we worship Jesus and all that, you know, Romans is going to tell you. So this is like the beginner's guide to Christianity. And Amanda talked to me that Sunday and said, I'm so glad I came here because that's what I need. Because this, like, I haven't been in church that much. So we didn't really do church when I was growing up. And that's what I want, the beginner's guide to Christianity. And um, so... They just kept showing up, kept showing up through that series and uh, expecting the first child. And Nate grew up in church, and she didn't. And Nate's like, I want to go to church. You know, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want my family to be in church. I think this is important for us. Let's, let's go to church. Let's find us a church somewhere. And um, she said, sure, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm fine. I'm not opposed to church. It's just something I didn't do. And so they, they started coming. And she said when she started coming, she realized that... Um, there was probably more confusion there than you may have at first realized because like most of us, she grew up with certain things being told about God that are true and certain things being told about God that aren't true. And like there was good aspects to the faith that she was told and there were bad aspects to the faith. And there was, you know, like, well, God will love you if you do this or God will love you if you do this or if you live this way or if you do that. You know, God's love is kind of conditional. And so she had to kind of work through some of that, that, you know, God loves me unconditionally. There's not a, he doesn't put a condition on that love. Um, and they stayed through the deconstruction series. And we talked about good faith and bad faith. And they came to a new member class. And in the new member class, you know, she marked, um, I want to talk to somebody. And so we met out in the cafe a month or so ago, and she was asking questions about baptism. Now, when somebody usually reaches out to me about baptism, I'm like, oh, well, this, this is going to happen, you know, soon. You know, not because not they're talking to me. I'm just like, by the time you, you call the pastor and go, can we talk about baptism? Like, yeah, you're pretty close to baptism. And so we met, and we talked about baptism, and didn't hear anything for a while. And so I messaged, you know, hey, you've been thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, I gave her the scriptures. Yeah, I'm reading the scriptures. And um, she finally did it on Palm Sunday, which was last Sunday. She was baptized on Palm Sunday. But what I loved about her story was it wasn't something that came easy. That's what I loved about your story, man. It wasn't like something like, you know, oh, you preached that one sermon and I'm ready to get baptized. No, it was like, there was questions, and there was, she had to think through it and work through it and process it and kind of come to an understanding of what she truly believed about Jesus. And I think one of the things that maybe held her back, holds a lot of us back, is like, well, as soon as I get it all figured out, I'll do it. You know, I, it's not that I don't believe. I believe in Jesus, but I got a whole bunch of questions, and as soon as I get my questions answered, I'll, I'll get baptized. And she finally came to the conclusion, it's the right conclusion, baptism's not the end of the journey it's the beginning of the journey it's not a graduation ceremony it's not something you wait until you get it all figured out I was baptized when I was 12 years old I promise you I don't have it all figured out I stand up here and teach every Sunday and I don't have it all figured out there's questions that I don't know the answers to in this book there's there's things that I just I can't I can't piece together and I don't understand but I know who Jesus is and that's enough and so Amanda finally said I know who Jesus is so I can confess my faith in Jesus and I'll figure out the rest as I learn to follow him and that's, that, that's all it takes. 
So I want to I want to offer you and, and man, if I messed any parts of your story up, you can come correct me after this is over, and I'll, I'll get it fixed next Sunday. But I, I want to offer you the same invitation that if you're if you've been thinking through it, processing it, you've been kind of working through it. What do I think about Jesus? What should I do with Jesus? I want to offer you that opportunity to respond to Him in the same way that she did. And we use these cards for that. They're they're in the seat in front of you. Ebony mentioned them when you came in. If you've already turned one in or did the electronic version, just fill out another one. But on that card, there's a place for prayer request. We want to be praying. But on the, on the front, it says connect. And on the connect, some of the options there is I would like to be baptized. It may be that you have been kind of processing that and thinking through that. And you're like, you know what? I do believe in Jesus. And if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you're ready to get baptized. If you're ready to surrender your life to him, you're ready to get baptized. You say, well, yeah, but I can't explain the Trinity. Well, good. Neither can most pastors, you know. Yeah, but I don't, I don't really know what happens in the end times. Well, good. Neither do I. You know, like I, I know Jesus wins, but I can't tell you all the details. Okay, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't understand, you know, like the supernatural gifts of the Spirit and how the Spirit works. Well, good. Neither do I. Like, if you know, I know who Jesus is, and I know that he saved me from my sins. That's all you need to know. We'll figure out all the rest. <laughs> um. And so if you want to do that, you just mark, I'm ready to be baptized. It may be that you want to speak with a pastor. It may, may be me or Ebony or Tim or whoever and say, I'd just like to talk with somebody. You can mark that. They're, we're going to drop these in the buckets as they come around. So we're not, uh, we normally do our offering in these boxes, but we expected a fuller house today. So we're going to pass the buckets because we had ushers available. So our offering is going to come around during the last song. And if you want to give electronically, it's uh, murrayhills.com forward slash giving. But... Uh, really what I want you to do is drop these cards in the bucket as they come around. Let us know how we can be praying, or if you're ready to make a response to Jesus, then um, mark on there, I'm ready to be baptized, and we'll set a time, and, and we'll have the baptism. So uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to show you the baptism. We're going to celebrate the baptism together, and I'm going to show you that video. And then uh, the band's going to come back out and sing just a little more of that song that we sang right before the, the message. And uh, the buckets will come around during that time. So let's, let's watch this to celebrate Amanda's baptism right here. Baptism, as we talked about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I can't remember when we met, right over there, um, that it's, it's really the beginning of it. It's not the ending of a journey, it's the beginning of a journey. And it's, it's just simply a confession that says... I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and it's based on that confession that we're saved. And you heard, you know, my uncle preach the gospel today, and, and that's the gospel. And the question he asked at the end is, how do we participate in that? How do we participate in the justice of God, and the love of God, and the conquest of God? And this is how we participate in that. This is, this is one of the ways we participate in that, by just saying yes to God. I want to I ask you, man, in front of your family and your friends, um, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? based on that confession. That is the most basic confession of the Christian faith. Christian someone that believes Jesus is the Son of God and surrenders their life to Him and His ways. And so that's what you're doing today. It's based on that confession. I'm now going to baptize you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Promise of the Holy Spirit.